Our scripture text this morning is from the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, as Jeff decided not to read today. And that's okay, because he's right. I'm going to get to it here in a minute anyway. So, But what I'm really confident about today is that uh, what is going to be said is, is going to not, it's not going to be lost on anybody. The issue we're talking about today has to do with our attitudes. Now, I'm sure everyone here today got up and they've just been so cheerful and so happy and looking forward to go to church on this cold old Sunday morning. And um, I know that you're going to resonate with everything we talk about here. I'm confident that uh, you have wonderful attitudes in your homes and at your job. I'm sure that everybody who knows you just says they are such sweet people. But few of us really would admit with River, that you know, we really sometimes we're kind of hard to deal with. Anybody admit that today? How many of you already this morning have been hard to deal with? Come on now, you can do it. Okay, honest people in the back row. That's a yeah, I didn't, I saw a hand back there. Can I get another witness? I know I get more witnesses. There's a few, but it is true. My, My wife has said for years that sometimes she wakes up grumpy and sometimes she lets me sleep. But uh, it is what it is. If there ever was, though, an enjoyable person to be around, it was Jesus Christ. He once said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he said, You take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen to this. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Jesus Christ did not make life miserable for those people around him. And as a result, his followers found his companionship made their lives so much better. It was easy to be with him. All kinds of people, all kinds of them, were attracted to Jesus Christ. Sinners like the woman at the well, you know, intellectuals like Nicodemus, even doubters like Thomas. All kinds of people were comfortable in his presence. His closest friends loved being around him. And when he died, not one of his disciples said, Oh, wow, what a relief. Jesus was so insensitive and so demanding that I'm glad he's gone. No one said that. On the contrary, they mourned his passing. They missed that fellowship they had with him. They were overwhelmed with joy when he rose from the dead and they could be with him again. In John 14, 27, in some of his final words to them, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. In John 13, 34, he said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He had a, had a disposition that attracted people. And the more you and I grow to be like Jesus, the more his attitude should be reflected in us. Believers should not be mean-spirited, quick-tempered, hypocritical people. We ought to be developing inside of us a pleasantness that makes us easy to live with. And in so doing, our church will also have a sweet disposition as well. According to the Bible, the early Christians had a spirit of gladness and singleness of heart. 
Even David, back in the Old Testament, said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul gives some instructions to young Titus, the pastor of a church in the island of Crete. He said, I want, to help, want you to help Christians on the island of Crete develop attractive attitudes. Now, I want you to follow along as I read the text. And then I want to suggest one powerful principle that will hopefully help us all have better dispositions. Are you ready? Now, don't get excited. It's not just one point to the message. We'll add some more later, but that's the big idea. Okay, you ready? Here, Titus 3, beginning with verse 3. Paul describes our condition before and after Jesus saved us. He says, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having a hope of eternal life. And then having reminded Titus of these things, here's how he concludes. This is a trustworthy saying. He says to Titus, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now, I want you to stop and think for just a minute. I mean, can you imagine the impact that you and I could have on those around us if Jesus Christ were allowed to make the needed changes in our dispositions? Now, I know you're probably on your best behavior here this morning at church, but I want us to think a little bit about how we generally, what our general outlook is in life and what kind of an impact we have on others. I love Max Licato's writings. He says, you know, God wants us to be just like Jesus. He says, isn't that good news? You and I don't have to stay the way we are. We can cooperate with Jesus in a renovation of our attitudes. You and I are not condemned to a life of grumpydom. Y'all catch that? It's not a Greek word. It's a Kentucky phrase. Grumpydom. I think it's a great word. You and I are tweakable, he says. Even if up, not up to now, you've worried every day of your life. You don't have to worry the rest of your life. Where did we get the idea we can't change? From whence come statements such as, well, it's just my nature to worry. Or, I'm just always pessimistic. Or, I'm just that way. Who says? Would we make similar statements about our bodies? Oh, it's just my nature to have a broken leg. I can't do anything about it. Of course not. If our bodies malfunction, we seek help. Shouldn't we do the same with our hearts? Shouldn't we seek aid for our sour attitudes? Can't we request treatment for our selfish tirades? Of course we can. And if we submit to him, Jesus can change our hearts and our attitudes into hearts like his. And Max Licato is absolutely right when he says this. Change is possible. So long as we allow Jesus to give us an attitude adjustment, especially in one crucial area. 
I want to speak about how he can change our attitudes from grumpy to grateful. It may be a short jump for some, maybe a long journey for others, but it can be done. Remember the ten lepers who came to Jesus on the road to be healed? Leprosy was the kind of the first century version of, of AIDS, I guess, even though leprosy was not really related to sexual behavior. But people avoided lepers like the plague. And it was so contagious, you know, they were forced to spend most of their lives quarantined from everybody, unable to live with their families. Lepers were unable, they kind of existed in colonies, leper colonies. And they were required, if they were out on the road, that they had to call out loudly, unclean, unclean, anybody that was coming near them or close to them, any unsuspecting stranger. And it's not hard to see why these lepers desperately wanted to be healed by Jesus. Listen to Luke 17, 12. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Try to imagine this. Can you imagine the joy that those ten lepers suddenly experienced the moment that they realized they didn't have leprosy anymore? They were healed. Now, I don't know that we can imagine that, but try. The sores were gone. Their skin was clear. Their bodies were whole. Their features were normal. Oh, how they must have celebrated. And there was embracing and shouts of delight. But in verse 15, Luke highlights one particular response. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he went back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And the scriptures go on to say that he was a Samaritan. Now, we've had conversation about them before. You know, Samaritans, it was a despised race. The Jews would travel miles and miles out of their ways just so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. There was so much prejudice and hatred there. But only this Samaritan came back to thank Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question. He said, were not there ten men that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? But then he said to him, You rise and go, because your faith has made you well. Now, have you ever wondered why these other guys, the other nine guys didn't come back and thank Jesus? Ever wondered about that? Have you ever thought about how you and I are not always as grateful as we should be? All the things the Lord has done for us. All the wonderful things he's done for our church over the years. The fact that our road is almost complete. What a blessing. Have you come to church this morning with a grateful heart? Did you bring it? I suppose generally speaking, as we look around at our society, it seems that the more we have the less grateful we are. 
And it really should be the opposite. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9 records the prayer of a wise man. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. It was the author G.K. Chesterton who once referred to gratitude as the mother of all virtues. And you and I can become more grateful people if we will embrace five spiritual exercises today. And it's not just today, on a regular basis. Let me give you these. Number one, if we would just acknowledge that everything we have is God's and not ours, just from the get-go. You take inventory, you go home today, and you see your property and your possessions and all the things you have, all the blessings and things you have, all of those things God has provided for you. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You ever see that little part of that verse? We think the earth is the Lord, but there's a big chunk of it that belongs to us. That's not true. Everything in it, the world and all who live in it, belong to God. You see, he just, he just loans you and me the things that we have so we can be good stewards of it for a little while. Suppose you agree to be a house sitter for somebody that's very wealthy. Right? Now everybody's wishing they had wealthy relatives so you could practice this. But suppose you decide to be a house sitter, and for four months you have the time of your life. I mean... You get to drive the guy's BMW around, and you enjoy his four-wheeler, which I'm not sure why you'd have both of those. And you would play in his boat, and you would just have a wonderful time. You would frequently entertain all your friends and all your family. And after four months, you received notice, though, that the owner is returning a little earlier than expected. They thought he was going to be gone six months. So how would you feel? I mean, sure, you'd be disappointed that your fun is kind of over for uh, after this time, but would you feel cheated? Would you shake your fist at the owner and say, how could you be so cruel and treat me so unfairly? You said six months, and I deserve six months in this wonderful home. Now, hopefully, we would be thankful for the awesome four months. Hopefully, you and I would be grateful. The Bible says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Oh, how we all need to acknowledge every single day that the things that we have are not ours. They're God's. And we should be grateful for the honor of house-sitting for him for just a little while. So that's the first thing. You acknowledge that everything you have is not because you've been so smart and so talented and capable. You know, it's God who gives you the ability to make money, the Bible says. It's God that gives you strength and energy in your bodies to get to do anything. It's a big deal. So that's number one. Number two, then, from time to time, you need to visit with those who are less fortunate than you. And you need to minister to them. Visit with the less fortunate and 
take the time to minister to them. I mean, most of us are not as thankful as we should be because we compare ourselves with those who have more. We would be better served to spend our time with those who are less fortunate. Red Foley was a country music singer of another era, and he wrote the following. Today upon a bus I saw a lovely maid with golden hair. I envied her, she seemed so gay, and I did, oh, how I wished I was so fair. And when suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one foot and had a crutch, but as she passed me, a smile. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two feet. The world is mine. And when I stopped to buy some sweets, a lad who served me had such charm. He seemed to radiate so much good cheer. His manner was so kind and warm. And I said, nice to deal with you. Such courtesy I seldom find. And he turned and said, oh, thank you, sir. And then I saw he was blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes and the world is mine. And then walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. He seemed he knew not what to do. I stopped for a moment, and then I said, Why don't you join the others, dear? But he looked ahead without a word. And then I knew he could not hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears. The world is mine. And then he closes it out. He said, with feet to take me where I'd go, my eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I should know, I'm blessed indeed. The world is mine. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. Our ability to appreciate our blessings will only be exaggerated a bit if we spend time with those who desperately need blessing. And then number three, avoid the plague like the plague, all grumbling and complaining. Now, I know there's none of you here that are grumblers. If you were, right now, you wouldn't, you wouldn't move very quickly. You, you wouldn't raise your hand. You wouldn't shuffle your feet because you, none of us want to be recognized as being grumblers. Do you all know any grumblers? Anybody know them? Anybody live with them? <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Y'all smile at each other. Well, the Bible makes it clear that God is honored by thanksgiving, but grumbling and griping incur his wrath. Did you know that? Wow. Remember how when God uh, delivered the Israelites from slavery? They were down in Egypt and miserable, and so... He got them out of there, and then he ended up giving them wealth, and he gave them freedom and water and that delicious manna, which they don't know exactly what it tasted like, but they had plenty of it. And uh, isn't that interesting that he gave them all these things, and uh, they fussed and griped all the time. They said, oh, how we missed the fish and the melons and the cucumbers and onions and garlic we ate as we were slaves in Egypt. They whine, oh, we want more. We're tired of looking at this manna. And the Bible says in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, verse 33, that the anger of the Lord 
burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Wow. 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, the Apostle Paul warns us to learn from the negative example of these Israelites. He said, do not grumble as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. Now we know them, you know them. Some of you may look in the mirror and see one, but there are people that are specialists at complaining. Think of the things you hear on a daily basis. It's too hot and humid outside. Or it's too cold outside. Rains every time I want to go do something. They are never going to finish this dumb road. It's been so dry here lately. My husband isn't very romantic. My wife has no passion. My children just won't apply themselves. And my parents are always interfering when I try to raise the children. My church just isn't meeting my needs anymore. My small group is boring. My favorite team is pitiful. All the square donuts have been eaten before I could get to them. And on and on it goes. And in the process of our fussing sometimes, we forget the Philippians 2.14 verse 15 commands, do everything without complaining or arguing. Wow. So that you may become blameless and pure, the children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So avoid that grumbling, complaining problem. Then number four, we need to learn to express our thanks frequently to God. Paul told the believers in the Thessalonians church, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16, he says, you be joyful always. Now he didn't just say, now you be joyful when you feel like it. No, he says, you be joyful always. Then he said, and pray continually. He didn't just say, now don't pray just every now and then, or pray when you're in trouble. No, he said, you pray continually. Then he said, give thanks in all circumstances. Not just the ones you like, but in all of them, because you do this because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, if you and I own a Bible, you are abundantly blessed because a third of the people in the world today don't have a Bible. If you can read your Bible, you're more blessed than two billion plus people in the world who can't read anything at all. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than one million people who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the dangers of battle and the loneliness of imprisonment and the agony of torture and the pangs of starvation, and you're, you're more fortunate than 500 million people. And if you've got food in your refrigerator, clothes on your back, and a roof over your head, $20 in your pocket, and a place to go sleep tonight, you are richer than 75% of the world. We used to sing a song around here. I bet you've heard it. It's called Count Your Blessings. Count your many blessings. Can you know? I wish I could sing or I'd sing it to you. Well, wait a minute, I'm complaining about not being able to sing. I apologize to you. <laughs> but if I did sing, you would understand, and then you know you might apologize to me for well anyway, you, you get the idea. Count your many blessings. Now that's great advice. 
That is such good advice in very simple words. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And then number five, enjoy God's rich blessings. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul taught a young preacher how to preach to the wealthy people of his church. And he told him in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he said, You command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, you see, riches certainly won't save us. Paul warned us of that. So put your hope in God. Give away a portion, a good portion of what you have. And then enjoy the rest because that is why God provided it to us. You see, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to be wealthy. The Bible says it's wrong to be stingy. And it's wrong to be discontented when God has blessed us with so very, very much in this culture. And when your attitude is gloomy and melancholy and You know, in a sense, you are insulting the generous God who has given you material wealth. But when you enjoy his blessings and you seek to be generous with others, then God's going to be honored and your attitude will attract others to him. Mary Frances Myers passed away a while back. We don't know her. She was a member of another church. But she certainly had reasons to complain. She had severe diabetes and had taken almost all of her eyesight. She was bound to a wheelchair. She lost her best friend when her husband of more than 50 years had passed away. And Mary Frances Myers, when she was asked to give a testimony at a church retreat, no one would have been surprised if she had talked about all the difficult things and challenges that she'd had to go through how God had helped her get through them, and so on. But no, instead, she smiled, and she said, I don't have much to say. My testimony is kind of boring. I really love my church. I'm thankful to have been married to a wonderful man for more than 50 years. Both my children love the Lord. Both are happily married. I just don't know why God has been so good to me. Now, if Mary Frances Myers can endure all her circumstances and still talk about how good God's been to her, you know, I think that we could do that as well. This week we're celebrating another Thanksgiving. And history tells us that in the year 1636, amid the darkness of the Thirty Years' War, there was a German pastor by the name of Martin Rinkhart. Now, he's said to have buried 5,000 of his church members in one year, average of 15 a day. His parish had been ravaged by war and death and disease and economic disaster. But in the heart of all that darkness, with the cries of fear outside his window, he sat down and he wrote this little table grace, like a little prayer for for the children would eat their, their meal. And this is what he said. Now thank we all, our God, 
with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now here's a man who knew what genuine thanksgiving was and how genuine thanksgiving comes from a love of God and a grateful attitude. It does not come because our outward circumstances are what we think they ought to be. And may we learn from his example as you and I navigate the twists and turns of life so that we will have an attitude of gratitude. Nothing speaks louder than a congregation of believers who are so excited to be the recipients of God's grace. And as we go through another holiday, and, and uh, I don't know what yours will be like. I have no idea what ours is really going to be like. We've got family we'd like to see, and we hope to, and we've got a lot of things we'd like to do. But let us not forget to give thanks to the one who really, really, really deserves it. Amen? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have our time with you today. Now we're looking forward to being around your table. And as we take the little cup and the little wafer and as we meditate for just a moment and think about all your goodness, we thank you for the most amazing gift of all. We thank you for Jesus. He left the the glories of heaven to come down here and suffer and die on our behalf. So Father, forgive us when we whine because we have so, so very much. And as we meet around this table today and as we quietly just have a moment with you, may it be filled with thanksgiving and not complaint. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.